We'll start off by thank you, Tom, for taking the time to chat with me and the Oklahoma Venture Forum. I'd like to start off by uh, getting to know you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your career history. Yeah, so um, I'm a I'm a total nerd in that when I was really young, like we're talking like high school and stuff, I thought it was cool to like work on political campaigns and hang out with congressmen and stuff. While other people were, you know, think it was cool to hang out with like baseball players or, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. I've always been interested in politics and that led me to work on campaigns all through high school and college and be involved, which led me to DC, ultimately worked out there for a couple of years, uh, worked on the Supreme Court uh, nominations for Justice Alito and, or Samuel Alito and, and John Roberts for the Supreme Court on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, and then actually, uh, um, got my degree in all things from George Washington University in uh, political management. So it's all the people that run campaigns and and um, and public affairs firms and stuff that we try to legitimize what we do. And um, but in that mix of being involved in campaigns, politics, and being out in D.C., uh, met my wife, uh, who's from Oklahoma. And so as we started taking a look at where do we actually want to raise a family and where do we want to live. I was actually super excited about Oklahoma um, just because we wanted a backyard, which is a kind of a novelty item in DC. We wanted a commute that was less than uh, an hour. And we wanted, as we raised our family, to be in a place that we could be by other family. And so we went and uh, worked, uh, uh, moved, to, moved to Oklahoma. And so I've been here for well over 10 years and uh, love every minute of it. So. Um, background wise, I've stayed in kind of that lane of uh, government and public affairs and um, worked for uh, Chesapeake Energy as a manager of government affairs for a number of years, and then worked for the governor as the deputy secretary of energy, and then started noticing some opportunities for some projects, um, first in energy and then now in a number of different areas, different other areas uh, to help businesses and stakeholders uh, kind of understand how to navigate public policy. And so out of that, I've had the opportunity to lead uh, a, a, or start a bunch of different kind of coalitions that now have to do with uh, different things that the state's doing to be open for investment. And um, so that's 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 the quick 30 seconds. I should also, I warn everybody and everything that I do that I have an identical twin brother. Um, his name's Mike. And um, he also lives in Evan. We live just about 10 minutes away from each other. And he also does a mix of public affairs. He worked for Bush out in the White House. And then uh, he got married and uh, I convinced him to, to drop everything, move out to Oklahoma. So a lot of times people will meet me in a setting like this and uh, it'll be a lot of fun, get to know them. And then they'll see my, my alter ego walk around and who will totally ignore them. And they'll be like, hey man, I know there's some people out there that think I'm very cold. <laughs> but uh, yeah, his name's Mike. So uh, our last name is Robbins. Our joke is we've assembled the Robbins nest in Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, my mom has, and her husband since retired they've moved here as well so uh we're great recruiters uh for the state and uh we're here we love it and uh and uh anyway that's that's a little bit of my background uh, just kind of diving in just a little bit deeper what are some of your uh, most proud or just excited about like career achievements yeah so um like I mentioned early on as a very young staffer, had the chance to work on the Senate Judiciary Committee, which is the committee that handles um, most famously Supreme Court nominations. So the president nominates 
And then um, the committee obviously has to have a hearing. Uh, the last one or two have gone very contentiously, I would say, and had a huge spotlight on it. it didn't always be that way. It was pretty bipartisan. Uh, but there's a whole committee process of uh, getting all their background and documents and information and doing vetting and preparing the senators for that hearing and those questions. And um, so I was there when both Alito and Roberts were confirmed to the United States Supreme Court. And uh, literally was the guy sending out the name plates and filling up the waters and letting in the press and kind of being the fly on the wall, which up close let me see kind of how all this works in, in, in a democracy. And so getting to know who now serves as the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court and then obviously Samuel Alito, who's on, on the court, was a really great experience as a young, uh, as a young uh, 20 year old. The other thing is, um, uh, you know, that I would say I'm, I'm proud of is uh, something that we'll probably talk about a little bit later, but um, one of my current projects that we've started actually kind of when COVID uh, kicked off and saw the need for it is organizing uh, companies that are headquartered in Oklahoma that are IT innovative companies and giving them a voice uh, through a trade association, which kind of never been done before, which totally blew my mind. Having worked in DC and stuff, everybody has a trade association. Everybody's represented. The guys who like build your desks have some sort of trade association where they're getting together talking about what are some of the barriers to their business and priorities. And um, and so we started, um, uh, we started OITA, the Oklahoma Innovative Technology Alliance um, uh, at the end of the Q4 of this last year giving uh, Oklahoma IT companies who are headquartered in Oklahoma voice and the public policy process here in, uh, in Oklahoma, which is really a, a, a great thing. And it shows that IT is kind of growing up and, um, um, and, and here in Oklahoma and creating opportunities. Well, let's talk a little bit more about uh, what you're gonna be presenting for the Oklahoma Venture Forum in January. Yeah, so I will hit on uh, just kind of uh, that we've started the uh, Oklahoma Innovative Technology Alliance. I'll let the OVF uh, attendees know that. And the gist of that is that, um, and our mission statement is as technology and IT companies who choose to have headquarters in Oklahoma and are committed to investing in Oklahoma uh, by creating jobs and opportunity and diversifying the economy here in Oklahoma, uh, and also want to educate policy members, you know, members of the legislature and others, on what are the best kind of way to create an environment for IT and technology in Oklahoma and to help transform the state digitally into being top 10. So there's a lot of pieces to that. And so we started the, um, the OITA and um, I'm uh, the president of it. And we're organizing these companies that are headquartered investing in Oklahoma. I think people uh, create great products from an IT standpoint or services or businesses and they don't really understand or know how to engage on the policy side or let their voice be known of what some of the barriers are uh, to their growth or what are some of the opportunities that can be magnified. So we're serving as that platform interfacing with the, um, uh, the legislature and other policy leaders in the state of Oklahoma, letting them know the capabilities and opportunities for Oklahoma IT and then some of the barriers that we think need to be taken away. And so that's, that's exciting, that's kicking off. And um, we got organized at the end of this last year and we're really kicking things off in January. We're gonna be doing a coffee and conversation with the Oklahoma legislators, uh, with Oklahoma IT leaders. And so I think that'll be a, a great uh, thing for investment, the investment community in Oklahoma, for OVF uh, members, uh, for people that are involved with businesses that have an IT innovative component uh, that are either just starting or that are established that want to network with other companies, but also want to start talking to policymakers about that. 
So that's one part, and I'll just be mentioning that. Um, I think the the main kind of uh, thrust or, or, or part of what we'll be presenting is, is more on what we've been doing on the autonomous vehicle side. So I'm the president of a consulting company, Solid Foundation Consulting, and um, I help uh, build projects and coalitions around different uh, issues. One of those about a year and a half ago that I got tapped to lead was on behalf of the Secretary of Transportation uh, was to lead the Oklahoma Autonomous Vehicle Working Group. And the purpose of that group is to signal uh, to the markets, to signal to investments, to signal to people that have an interest that Oklahoma is open for business when it comes to autonomous vehicle technology. And there's a lot of layers of people that need to be engaged on autonomous vehicles, um, both on the ground and aerial, and what that technology means and what the state needs to be doing to prepare. So it's everybody from people that who think and, and invest in, or on the, I'd say the tip of the spear, early adopters uh, that are part of that working group to other people more on the policy side, like a city manager who's asking a question, hey, as the city manager of say Edmond, who has 100,000 people in my community, do I need to start thinking about how I plan differently in city planning to, um, uh, to have uh, like electric vehicles, for example, in my um, in my city, as far as how I like you know have stores or charging facilities or things like that, and then you have some policy considerations from people from elected officials who are asking, well, what are the laws or regulations that need to be changed or in many cases updated uh, to accommodate uh, autonomous vehicle technology that uh, laws when they were written in the 60s or 70s or 50s didn't anticipate. And so that group has been going for about um, uh, about a year and a half, almost two years. And um, it's really a landing place for people that have questions or an interest or looking at investing in autonomous vehicle technology in some way or autonomous transportation, I'd say, or electrification and um, giving them a welcome, welcome mat and then kind of directing them uh, through education, engagement or policy to the right place. What are you doing uh, to make Oklahoma a top 10 in tech and IT? Yeah, so the first thing, which is very important, is up until we got organized uh, with the Oklahoma Innovative Technology Alliance, is that there wasn't like an, uh, an organized way for companies that were headquartered here in Oklahoma to interface with public policy leaders. And so IT is very diverse. And the people that are in the space understand that. I've tried to like always make analogies to oil and gas because that's very familiar to Oklahoma. You know, people think oil and gas and they just think about some drilling rig or something, but energy is very diverse in Oklahoma and that you have people in what's called like the upstream and midstream and downstream and services side of that business. And people inside that know that lingo and they know the different parts of the kind of billions of dollars that are being invested in each of those and what that means. But just like oil and gas has to take the time to um, engage people um, on, on the lingo and what that means to give them the background, so does IT. So a lot of people, when it comes to IT, they're, they like it, they want more of it, but they kind of think of IT as the person that comes and kind of updates their Microsoft or fix their computer. But there's a whole, as everyone here at OVF knows, there's this whole diverse ecosystem of, of IT and innovation that's happening. And some of that, yeah, it can be exactly that, which is IT as a service, you know, helping to keep your actual network and computers up and running. But others are uh, forensics and security. We just had a huge breach. And what are companies doing to protect themselves and that capital? Or talking about software, custom software. We have great companies uh, that are doing that. In fact, the number one um, Fortune 500 company as far as revenue right now in the state of Oklahoma is an IT company. It's Paycom, right? Uh, 
And if you would have said that 10 years ago, people would have been like, what? Oklahoma, an IT company is the number one Fortune 500 company in the state of Oklahoma? Like that can't be, that can't be right. Um, but there's a fertile sort of, you know, call it Prairie Tech or whatever it is uh, here in Oklahoma uh, that provides a low startup to capital uh, that I think is very attractive to businesses. The question is, how do we get them to stay here? And then how do we educate policy members? So number one, what we're doing is just literally just having that conversation, the 101 of what is tech, IT, innovation in Oklahoma mean? And then educating those policymakers on what are the capabilities of the companies that are here? What are the type of projects that they work on? What are the types of problems that they solve? And then how can we take that taxpayer dollar and circulate it here in Oklahoma and not send it maybe to the coast uh, where it never comes back, uh, where a graduate can uh, from an Oklahoma institution can be hired by a local company here to continue to uh, grow tech or technology and diversify the economy. So that's like literally in January, um, we're having that conversation, the first ever that I know of, of Oklahoma headquartered companies having a coffee and conversation with state legislators on challenges and opportunities for Oklahoma IT. What do city planners need to do to prepare for the future? So, um, you know, if you talk to the people that are on the tip of the spear, and this is back to the autonomous vehicle kind of question technology is, you know, there's some people have a very aggressive timeline. What you'll notice though probably is there'll be a mix of a while um, as more electric vehicles and more um, vehicles with autonomous capabilities come online is there uh, there'll be a mix of of folks and drivers that are that are on the road you know it's not like we're going to flip a switch and overnight there's going to be all autonomous vehicles uh, in their interfacing so from a city planning standpoint number one it's talking about and thinking about okay as i build out infrastructure for say, uh, you know, uh, uh, a strip mall or a large anchor tenant and stuff, what can I do to recognize that that traffic flow or pattern or parking might be changing? And one of the things might be is, well, how do I bring in, for example, charging stations? And how do I uh, make that a win-win for the business that's gonna be there so that people wanna come and wanna charge? But then how do I have that? So as the, my mix of cars or transportation over time continues to grow, probably towards electrification. How can I grow that out so I'm not caught in a surprise where I have to totally reconfigure how I'm setting up that traffic flow and pattern. There's also, when it comes to autonomous vehicle technology is smart technology. So one of the things that the state of Oklahoma did was uh, pass a platooning bill, which allows trucks basically um, to draft off each other if they have technology that speaks to one another so that they can basically um, in a way, be closer to one another, which saves on fuel costs and efficiencies. And um, when you look at traffic patterns and lights from a city manager standpoint, you know, they're doing things and investing in technology to help manage that traffic flow. And so the question back to their vendors are, well, as electric vehicles uh, come into the mix, how can the software technology that I'm using now adapt to that change? Because we'll get to a point, uh, you know, not in the near distant future, where that traffic flow and patterns, those cars can probably start to be able to talk to the traffic um, management system that the city has and be able to um, tell them and give them information about um, traffic crashes, speed, or other things that are important to, to traffic flow. Uh, you talked about some of the legal challenges. So what are some of the laws that need to be changed uh, to help for autonomous vehicles? 
So like you get kind of technical, but you start to dig into the kind of the statutes. And here's the interesting thing about autonomous vehicles, right? You do have the state and the state has state highways, but you're, and you have a lot of traffic that flows on those state highways. But really what you have is a jurisdiction where you have a patchwork of city municipalities and counties all working together. I mean, we have 77 counties in Oklahoma, um, some urban, the majority would be classified obviously as rural. And all of those have different sort of laws that impact traffic. And if you go into the, the state statute, you know, historically what it's required and rightfully so is like two hands on the wheel, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do you make accommodations for fully autonomous vehicles? Um, right now there's technology that allows you to have your hands off the wheel. I'd argue that it's not there that you should legally be allowed to, right? Because of the different kind of change in modality you know, in the environment. But you have to have, and we have this in the working group, you have to have representatives from like the state Department of Public Safety. You have to have representatives from counties because they're dealing with roads, bridges, construction, transportation, planning in their county. But then you also have to have city managers and city planager, planners from, from cities. And so the probably the earliest win that we had was just having a forum and getting people to discuss truck platooning. And then that was a bill that was passed in the state of Oklahoma that allowed for that technology. And so, I mean, there was some press about it, but there's a likelihood that the average Oklahoman might not even know that there's trucks that are able to draft off each other and be able to what they call platoon if they're connected uh, via technology. Now there's still a driver in each of those seats, but they're able to draft off each other in a much closer compatible way. And that's all through technology from those cabs talking to each other. Right. So um, there's already that happening on the road, but you have to be able to update the laws as you go along, as you discover either county, municipal or state regulations that either impede or hinder that development. So uh, tell me a little bit about what you're working on now for uh, Thomas Vehicles and the uh, businesses and organizations you're a part of. So, you know, a lot of what we're doing is we're creating a um, uh, kind of a safe landing area for people to do one of two things. We have education engagement, and that's just like it sounds, of educating the public on what is autonomous vehicle technology and what are some of the opportunities and what will they see coming. You know, those early adopters, typically the spear folks, they're eager for that kind of information. And then those laggards or the people behind there, they're also kind of have their head up being like, hey, what's going, what's going on here? So we're, we're constantly educating and engaging on what that is. So we partner with different state agencies or different organizations to be able to bring together experts. So one example would be with the Oklahoma Highway Safety Office with their traffic safety conference. Uh, we'll bring together with some of our members uh, expert panel, and we're gonna be talking about autonomous vehicle technology and what we feel like is happening. And we're actually gonna focus a little bit on um, emergency response when it comes to electric vehicles and what emergency responders need to know and what kind of rural, um, which is mostly volunteer fire, uh, uh, people need to know when it comes to electric vehicles and safety. So getting them prepared and thinking about just some of the things when it comes to um, safety and, and, um, and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, on the flip side on the policy side, um, what happens is, is that legislators, they, they go to conferences or events, they come up with great ideas, they put together bill language. And so we become kind of a place where they can run that by and get some input. And so if there's OVF members who are interested in autonomous vehicle technology or have an investment there or want to have like a just a touch point with some policy folks, 
And so we know that there's some legislators who are drafting some, some potential legislation for this upcoming session around autonomous vehicle technology, or maybe how do we um, do, um, how do we treat electric vehicles as far as how do they pay into the road fund? So right now the primary funding for, uh, for roads in Oklahoma comes through gas, right? You go to the pump, you fill up your car, and it's actually a pretty good mechanism, fee mechanism, because it's a user tax. If you're gonna fill up your car, and then part of that goes to building the roads and the infrastructure. That makes a lot of sense to people, mm -hmm. you know, because you're a user of that and the investment by the state to have that transportation infrastructure. Right now, if you're obviously charging your vehicle, uh, none of that charge or that cost, that charge is going back into building the road and infrastructure. So you have this balance and that you don't want to kill innovation and, you know, being totally burdensome on putting some type of, you know, tax, but you want to have some type of fair balance and that people are also contributing to the infrastructure that they're utilizing. And so that's a conversation that the legislator is just, I would say right now, uh, looking at and wants to have. And I would say, you know, there's kind of this balance, right? Because if you're, if you're an investor in doing innovation, part of your brain says, no, 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 I don't want any type of, I don't want anything that's going to kill this innovation, this golden goose as it gets started. But then on the other side, you have to say, well, we have to treat you like an adult and sit you at the adult table at Thanksgiving and have the conversation of like, well, now that you're just like a handful or a couple thousand vehicles, how do we put together something so that can scale and grow? So if you get to a point where there's 100,000 vehicles on the road, there's a huge gap in funding that you're all, all of a sudden not saying, surprise, EV, <laughs> EV uh, electric vehicle uh, owners, all of a sudden next year, you're going to have to pay this extra $300 or whatever, you know, that came out of nowhere. And so those conversations we'll have and we're making ourselves available for people to come and present and talk about that and um, in one of our meetings and um, just see what kind of solutions are out there. What are other states doing that have adopted some rules and regulations? What hasn't been working? Um, but I know people that are investing in um, electric vehicles and um, autonomous technology and all of its various forms are kind of really interested in that for a wide variety of reasons. Uh, so I'm just kind of curious kind of using your imagination, what do you see like the future on taxing when we do kind of make that leap? Like, how do you think roads are going to be funded when most of our vehicles are electric and we're barely using gasoline? Yeah. So, I mean, you get to a point where you have to be kind of fuel agnostic. And so there's a lot of different ways, you know, that you can do that. Obviously people can charge, um, you know, at home or at a different place, there might be something there and it might be just something where it's annualized. Really right now we're getting to a point, and this is a conversation which every technology has, is like freedom, information and autonomy versus how much, you know, do I want somebody to know. If you go right now and get your, you know, if you're with Liberty Mutual, Allstate, State Farm, any of those guys, what are they going to do? They're going to say, hey, do you want to save another 10 to 20 percent? You're like, well, how? And they're going to say, well, download this app to your phone. And we're going to, we're going to just kind of see how driver you are. Of course, you're a safe driver. Don't worry about it. And then if you're, if you're doing a good job, we'll lower your rate a little bit. I mean, what are they doing? They're they're And I have one on my phone actually. Uh, and most of us probably do, but it measures your stopping and your speeding. And um, if you're fiddling with your phone while you're, uh, while it senses that the car is moving and stuff, it knows a lot about you and it's able to then kind of more personalize your stuff. Right. So there's even a possibility with that, right? If you're an, an EV, your vehicle, particularly as they get more advanced, is collecting different information and stuff. I mean, it's possible that they're basically coming up with a formula that says, hey, you know, uh, Lisa or Timmy here have driven this many miles. And then you have a formula that says, you know, it's a true user fee. 
that you know calculates it out and tries to even it across uh, people's uh, dashboards, if you will, uh, but gets closer to a truer cost, right? Of like what that is. So there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity there, right? Um, but then you know you also get into companies that will have fleets as a service, and you know people might choose not to have a car because they're um, using you know an Uber or a Lyft or uh, some other thing that hasn't been like invented, you know. Uh, one of the guys from Uber said something that totally has always stuck with me. And he goes, Uber views our platform like Amazon 20 years ago when they were just selling books, meaning that they're building out a platform for transportation and that can take on a lot of different meetings. And so the future, I think, is awesome as far as what investment and what infrastructure can look like. The other thing, which from an insurance, we had an insurance presentation and it, it mentioned something that I thought was so cool. And that was think about a future where if you have like a young teen driver, and they want to get behind the wheel and, and choose not to have an autonomous vehicle technology, but they want to have a license that allows them to do like manual, right? Because they want to drive their dad's like, you know, whatever T-Bird or Corvette, uh, that they would just have a higher insurance rate and a special license to do so, right? Uh, we already see teens kind of deferring and to us or to my generation it seems like strange, like when they get their driver's license, like it's less of a status symbol or less of a a cool thing that they absolutely have to run out and do when they're 16, uh, which to, I think my generation, especially older generations are like, what? That doesn't make sense, <laughs> right? It's a totally different, totally different um, approach um, to, to transportation. Now there's some conversations having with some people I know is like, you know, if you had kids today, you may not be teaching them how to drive. Generally speaking, it's an aggressive timeline, you know, that the early adopters have. Again, I think you're gonna have a mix for a while of uh, autonomous vehicles. Most people, if you go to the car dealer right now, 2020, or, or looking at a 2021 uh, model, you already have technology. And so, you know, you have lane assist mm -hmm. that keeps you in your lane, or you have other, uh, you know, everything that's, you know, communicating with your, with your car that makes you, you know, a lot sa safer. So there's already kind of like level one or level two, not fully autonomous, but things that people are getting, um, you know, familiar with. One of the things that I look at is, you know, future where, you know, you look at like a car uh, uh, company and that sells you a car and they more could be set up like an Apple bar, right? Where your car is actually like your phone and then it has software in it and it has all these great things that it can do, but you need to have sort of like someone help you kind of particularly, you know, gaps in generations or people's familiarity with technology need to have you like kind of go through and help you with that. And think about, you know, you lease a vehicle now, well, you get to a point where you lease a car and it automatically updates the software and just like, hey, my iPhone, I've had it for three years. I want, you know, I'm paying X a month and every three years I want that new iPhone. It's like from a car standpoint, you could get to the same thing, right? Where, you're basically trading out for the newest upgrade of software and technology and all that kind of stuff. So kind of kind of cool to think about. Uh, what words of encouragement would you like to give to people to come to your uh, your all presentation on January? So we're going to be talking about kind of what is the environment for investment and opportunity uh, for all types of autonomous vehicle technology. What is the state done with this working group? But then what's going on in rural Oklahoma? People hearing about what the Choctaw Nation is doing, really industry leading on the drone side as far as what they're doing to open themselves up to investment, how they've worked with the Federal Aviation Administration to get certified as the only tribe uh, to do so is a unique competitive Oklahoma advantage 
there's a low kind of capital start. We didn't get, uh, you know, obviously the Tesla truck um, factory, uh, uh, factory, we didn't get that awarded to us, but through that process, there was a lot of light that was shown brightly in Oklahoma on its low cost to start up, on its ability to be a low regulation environment that's open, the chance to work with policymakers. And so we've really sent a signal to the market that we'll be a part of kind of EV technology, parts, transportation, and um, infrastructure and supply chain. And that'll just continue to grow. Um, so I think OVF members will hear from somebody who's a leader in that in rural Oklahoma and with the tribes and the, na and the tribal nations, and then also kind of know kind of maybe where they fit if they have an idea or investment or working with somebody uh, to do that. So appreciate the opportunity to engage everybody on this kind of fun topic. Uh, I do want to know, tell me a little bit more about uh, what the tribes are doing exactly. Yeah, so um, Jim Grimsley, who will be part of the presentation, will be doing a presentation on what uh, the Choctaw Nation in particular is doing when it comes to drone and flight technology. Really the jump in um, when we talk about autonomous vehicle uh, technology, it's the electrification of the motor that doesn't matter if it's in a car, doesn't matter if it's in a drone, it's from ground up to the airspace. And so the Choctaw Nation has carved out both ground and airspace that they have jurisdiction over and then they're certified with the Federal Aviation Administration to be able to do testing. And it's in you know rural Oklahoma, but close enough to the corridor of Texas and other places in the Southeast, where it's attracting some great partnerships and capital for people to be able to test out that uh, technology where Oklahoma um, really will become a leader in, um, in uh, drone technology and, and testing through that partnership that the tribe has set up. And so he'll be talking about a bunch of the investment that'll be happening. Uh, it'll be happening there and his partnerships with FAA, NASA and, and others, uh, which is a cool, very cool story that's happening in, in rural Oklahoma. Is there anything else you'd like to share, discuss? Or? It's an exciting time for innovation technology in Oklahoma. And um, you know, it's, it's really starting to, to grow up. And um, when you have the number one Fortune 500 company being a, a tech company in Oklahoma, it's really kind of saying, you know, it's we're not just talking about diversifying the economy, we're, we're doing it in Oklahoma and we want to continue to grow that and incentivize that. And um, it'll be a great conversation for people that are interested in, in, in drone technology, innovation and, and, uh, and IT. All right, well, thank you again for taking the time to chat with me.